podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's one of the most famous clubs in the world, a shirt many people will recognise without really knowing too much about it. They've been part of the men's game in their sport since 1890, but the women's team has only been in existence for four years. But this year, and for the first time ever, there'll be a first home double header with the men's and women's team in action at the home of rugby, Twickenham. I'm John. And I'm Michael, and this is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. We are the podcast that focuses on the men and women behind and running British sport in this country. We're talking about the decision makers, the people who make changes happen. And we are delighted to be speaking to one of them in this episode, as well as a stalwart of WAS Women as a player, coach and administrator. She has a career with the NHS and has never experienced anything like the last 18 months of the pandemic. And she's also the driving force behind the creation and the establishment of the Barbarian Women. Hello, I'm Fiona Stockley. I'm the women's coordinator for the Barbarians. Fiona, firstly, an honour to meet you and to spend some time chatting to you. We, of course, as you say, talking about the Barbarians, the Barbars, the Black and Whites. But why wasn't it until 2017 that the women first played a match? If we look back a longer way, maybe... 15 or 20 years, back to 1994, um, a team in existence called the, the Nomads was created um, by Carol Isherwood, um, and she set up a team of almost like premiership all-stars in the, in the UK who played against international teams. Uh, and that existed right through until 2017. In fact, they played their last game in the March um, of that year. Um, and they were the precursors to the barbarians in, in every aspect. You know, the the strange choice of socks, the um, bring bring your kit and rock up on the day kind of attitude to rugby, and and that's what happened. And, and that team was in existence. They played nations, uh, you know, around the globe, and they were playing South Africa. And the um, the, the the conversation came in about how a news story had gone up onto the South African website, and they called us. In that, in that instance, the nomads, the barbarians. And I got a phone call from a, a lovely Scottish chap called Gordon Brown, um, who said, I need to phone you and tell you that, you know, you, you can't use our name. We are the barbarians. And I thought, you're right, you are. And I think that might be just a, a sort of a, a bit of an error on their part. We'll ask them to adjust it. But as I put the phone down, I thought, one, the barbarians know who I am. They've got my number. And two, thought, wouldn't it be fantastic if there could be a women's barbarians team. And, you know, it did take a good you know, six or seven years later um, to have that conversation. And I think they had tried to um, set up a women's team, you know, in the, in the years prior to that. And it just quite hadn't, you know, happened. And for, for me, you know, I've been involved in women's rugby a long time and I'm, I'm quite a networker and someone sort of threw my name in the ring to the committee and, and, and I got approached by Mike Burton, the England prop lion and and barbarian himself and uh, we became kind of pen friends over quite a period of time and um uh, we've and we, we say we're very very close talk a lot um and he's been a great mentor in in that environment for me and and that's where it started i, I went along to the the park lane 
Hilton met the committee, had a presentation, which, you know, they, they weren't really interested in electronics. They were quite happy with me talking through it. And, and that's where it really started. And then we were just looking, you know, having had their approval, we were looking for the opportunity to play. So they were obviously quite concerned about their brand. And we all know in the world that brands are important now. I remember Will Carling also saying about the Blazer Brigade uh, back in the 90s of, of rugby. How tough then was it? Fiona, to persuade them to allow the Barbarians brand for you to be embraced, if you like? I think the, the, the people in Blazers, they, they, they exist in every stream, in every sport. They're there today. And actually, they bring culture and history to all of our sports. So actually, there's, there's a place for that. But what was great about the Barbarians is that they could see that, that change was something they wanted to be a part of, that their club could be bigger and better for the inclusion of a women's team. And from the very first moment, uh, and, and what the turnaround here is, I'm back to Gordon Brown again. He, he sits there on the very first day and is delighted to welcome the first 23 players into the club. It's a club. It's not two teams. It's a club. And that was their attitude from, from day one. And so it's been you know, really refreshing in a way to have that blazer brigade really being able to say we're ready to take that leap forward and, and be part of change. And, and they've been spectacular at that and supportive. And when you talk about change and you talk about trying to change the culture, I guess, was there any resistance from anyone or was it a universal 100 percent acceptance or were there opportunities? Were there times when people perhaps had a little word in your ear about something? Do you know what? I think that, of course, those, those people exist in, in every sport. And I think um, the one person I knew that had really struggled with the, the inclusion of a women's team was, was the president um, and, and Mickey Steele Bodger, who at the time would have been maybe 90 or 91. Um, and you know that, you know, someone at that age in their life has experienced incredible change over 90 years. Um, but even though he was, you know, his, his challenge was around women playing contact sports, he also knew that it was right for the club and it was right for us to have have the women's team. Um, and so he, he didn't shy away from from sharing, you know, his his thoughts that he may have carried for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. But he was part of the group that approved the game. So, you know, like I say, it was it was going to be unanimous in that you know, way. It was uh, it was a real refreshing, positive you know, opportunity. And for our audience that perhaps isn't so up on their history of the Barbars, what briefly, and it's been a long history as far as the men's game is concerned, what briefly is it about? What is the ethos? How does this team get pulled together? So I think when we think about the ethos of the team, I mean, we do work really hard at that. And, and we'll come on to that talking about probably the coaching and the staff and the players. Um, but the the same mindset that goes through the coaching for the men's team and the, and the selection of players is about coming together having a um, an excellent level of skill but being able to use it with flair being able to be passionate about your sport and and reinvigorate the love of the game and there are many people that walk away better for the experience where they may have found themselves you know in a bit of a rut at the end of what they felt was the end of a career to feel reinvigorated again by the love of the game because it comes without the barriers that you have if you're an international team where, you know, if you're in this part of the park, you're going to have to play this move. 
because that's not how it is in the barbarians. We're encouraging them to play with that, you know, the, the, the cellar flair of France, you know, and just throw the ball around. And we see that, you know, some of the tries that we've scored over the last four, four or five years have been spectacular. Um, and it's just because they're given the freedom to play. Jouer, jouer, as they say. We'll, we will come and talk about the team and, and the coaching and the match uh, at Twickenham uh, in November. But rewind, Fiona, let's talk about you a little bit. We mentioned at the start that you're a, a, an NHS worker. So how on earth uh, in the last 18 months, in the last two years, five years, all the, the times you've been working, 10 years, 20 years, do you do that job as well as the role and responsibilities that you carry out uh, in the world of rugby? Now, I think that comes back to a lot of women who have worked in the game for a long time because we've gone on a journey where people played international level rugby as complete amateurs. And so we're very used to volunteering. We're very used to giving our time. And when I, in my time at Wasps, you know, that, that I've been surrounded by incredibly strong female, um, you know, empowerers of the game who have just got on and done stuff and I think it's catching once you're in that culture you become you become like that and I think for me you know I started um, at Wasps 21 years ago which does date me a little um, but I was at that point you know starting my journey in sports administration in sports management I was um, desperately wanting a role in the club because it was such a great club to be a part of. And then once you get in, you, you can't shirk off the responsibilities. You're kind of stuck with them. And so for, for me, you know, that's been a real um, joy to be involved, not playing anymore, but to, to stay involved with clubs. And, and I think the same with, with the Barbarians. With my, with my day job, I'm a general manager. I run a child mental health service uh, it's called CAMS, um, based in Newham, which is a, a very diverse and very deprived borough. And so there's a lot of need. Um, over the last 18 months, I have had to take responsibility for a, a large group of staff to, to make them feel safe in their workplace and to give them everything they need to be able to do their job to the best of their ability. But I work in a great trust um, in East London Foundation Trust and the culture there is, is incredible. And I've, I'm just tipping into five years of working in there and, and, that, and that came about from sport. I was working at London Irish and, um, and the team were relegated that first time and they had to reduce, you know, incredible, you know, almost within three months, all the staffing because moving into the championship doesn't generate the same level of funding. So I was made redundant. And at that point um, I, I got the opportunity to go and work into the NHS and it was by far one of the, the best things I've ever done for me as a person, my, my, my skill set, my knowledge, my, Management skills have all grown in that role. Um, but my love of rugby is going to be there forever. So I, I need to find a place for it. So it's a, it's a bit more tricky when it's getting close to a game because it becomes every weekend, every evening. But I still have my, you know, my NHS, you know, 40 hours a week that I'm, I'm doing on the, on the sideline too. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of the questions I was going to ask. When you're building up to a, a big match, do you take leave How, or, or is it a case of, yeah, well, I'll just do it in, in the evenings while I've got a spare hour or two. Yeah. And it's, it's um, when you say a spare hour, it probably is, you know, three, come up to three or four hours a night sometimes because you, you'll know working in sport, it's, it's almost instantaneous. Decisions have to be made quickly. Responses need to be quick. You can't sit on things. And so, yes, once that starts to happen, the conversations, you know, you're starting to talk to, 
you know, the team at the RFU about the operational match running of the, of the day. Um, you know, you have to, you just have to be on that sort of stuff. So yes, it is all the weekends, all the evenings. I have an incredible uh, employer who have have given me that flexibility to, if I need to take a meeting in the in the day, work work a little longer in the evening. Um, and also, I I sit on the the, the board um, of Atlas Foundation, which is Jason Leonard's charity. Um, you know, supporting young people, and they you know, and they've given me the time to 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 support that as well. So, um, the NHS is an incredible place to work. They get people, and so um, it's been supportive. But it's always going to be busy coming up to a big game. I mean, you know, effectively. I'm a one-man band organising an international match, so it's going to be busy, um, but I kind of like that. I just want to ask you, Fiona, with your two hats on, if you like, your NHS hat, your, your rugby hat, how important you think it is that we look at sport and we look at health and we look at fitness and we look at some of the issues that we've seen in the NHS and we join those things together because sport can be a huge part of the solution of some of the problems that the health service are experiencing now and potentially in the future are going to be experiencing at a real acute level. Yeah, I think we're really lucky in, in the role that I do in mental health. Um, we we already get that. We're very aware that, you know, sport can impact on your, yes, your physical health, of course, that's the obvious, but it also has a real driver in, in supporting people who are struggling with their mental health. Um, we have a project at work called Advantage, which works with football clubs. Um, and we work with, with Arsenal, we work with West Ham, we work with Leighton Orient. And that is a mentoring programme for young people specifically who have struggled with the challenges through COVID with their mental health. Um, so we're already there. I mean, it feels, you know, sometimes the NHS can be a, you know, a, a slow tugboat with change, but actually it's it's changing every minute. The, the NHS never stays still. And so we're constantly striving to um, develop and create ways, you know, the social prescribing routes for for young people. And I, and I think you'll see now that um, people with, with mental health um, challenges in Kent are being given opportunities to attend the gym and their, their gym membership being paid so that they can get that, you know, that outlet. If that's their thing and it helps them feel a bit better, then, you know, it's only for the positive. So we have to think outside the box all the time. Um, so I'm really proud the Advantage project is there. I'm, I'm sure it, at some point it will drift into rugby, but that's now starting to go nationwide with, with Man City and, um, and a few other, um, you know, Prem clubs. So let's talk about your role then. You're building up to this match. We've got a huge match at the end of November, this historic doubleheader. What have you got to organise? What have you got to do between now and then in these evenings that you talk about? So what are we doing at the moment? So at the moment, we're finalising the squad. And, and because we're in this in-between professional, semi-professional place in, in, in the women's game, um, it takes a lot of negotiating. It's not as simple as, you know, just saying, do you want to come and play? And, and actually, in some respects, that's what you are saying. We, can we invite you to play? Um, but then there's conversations if they're playing internationally for releases from their nation and or their club because the Barbarians game will always fall on a club weekend. It's at the end of the, the, you know, the Autumn Internationals where those international players may get a short break before they return to club fixtures. But um, you know, we, we find ourselves having to negotiate that the league is, is playing. So the, you know, the, the Alliance Premier um, 15s is, in, is the, I'm going to say it's the best league in the world. It is the best structure with the best players, the best coaching, um, and it's visible now. You know, the live streams have increased. So we don't want to take 15 players out of that 
culture and impact on teams because there's some massive head-to-heads that weekend. So we will look globally. Now, the next thing I'm facing a challenge is COVID because that is going to control how people move around the globe. And, and what we don't want to do is, is you know, I think you'll have seen the, the Kiwis winning gold in the sevens at Tokyo and then going home and sitting in a hotel for two weeks with that medal on their own. I mean, that must be you're at that point wanting to celebrate, but you can't. So we don't want to put our, any players into that situation. Um, but we are lucky that there are several tours all in the UK at that, at that time. So we're negotiating with some of those countries at the moment. Um, and there are some people um, that will always say, I'm ready now. This is, you know, they've been playing at international level. They may be not anymore and they're ready for the, the chance to come and join the club. So you mentioned there that you're working on, on putting the team together. Working, I'm assuming, with Joe Yap and, and Rachel Taylor, who you've brought back in uh, as, the, as the lead coaching roles? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we did have a game plan for last April. And of course, that was the height of... Um, you know, everyone being being sent home and, and the traffic disappearing from London streets. So, it, you know, it got cancelled. And, um, you know, the, the honour in the club is there. So we already reached out to to Rachel uh, and to Joe to to follow on. We love, we love that bringing in a coach that might sit over a couple of games or an assistant coach because we're about bringing the culture in, but also continuing it and making it a, a historic way of, of working in the club. So that consistency can be really helpful. Um, so we didn't we didn't get to go to play USA um, in Chula Vista. That would have been nice a week in the Olympic Sevens training village, but uh, we had made that promise. So it was as soon as the game was arranged, you know, the invite was was extended again to to both uh, Rachel and Joe. They're both incredible coaches and have been on slightly different paths, but have crossed over through the World Rugby High Performance um, Coaching Academy, which is supporting high-level coaches to have experiences and opportunities. And um, Joe was already director of, of rugby um, in, in Exeter and was, was moving up to Worcester and Rachel was moving into that coaching role uh, in Wales. So they had gone through a journey with that performance academy and had started to you know get into those, those high-performance roles. As a pair, they're an incredible, calm pair of coaches. They're a joy to work with. So when, when I worked with them the first time when we played uh, Wales, they made my week flow so well because they were flexible and able to take what happens in sport is things change all the time and, and things happen. You might get an injured player or you, you, you know, training times might have to change or whatever, but they were really relaxed to be around and that makes my job a joy. Um, so for that reason, I'm looking forward to them working together again, but they also now know what it's like to be in that environment, what's expected of them and what they want to bring out of the players. So for them, game two will be even better. It's even more of a challenge because they want to replicate what they did and improve on it for next time. How on earth do you train before the match? So you're playing the Springbok women's 15, 27th of November, uh, this Killick Cup doubleheader at, at Twickenham, as we've been talking about, uh, after the men's Barbarians versus Samoa. So how much time will Joe and Rachel have with the players once you've decided who, who's coming? So we will meet the Monday before um, and that will, the coaching staff and the all staff there will, will meet probably that day, the Sunday night. But we will be working in advance our schedules, our planning of what we're going to be doing. So there's work happening every week on that. Um, and then the players will come in that afternoon. And what, t- what we tend to do at that point is um, 
have an opportunity for the squad to come together and share it may be a little bit about their journey or or what's got them to become have the opportunity to become a barbarian and, and what they're looking forward to that week and each coach has done that session that kind of almost like a sharing session slightly differently but it is quite cathartic for players to sort of say you know I'm I'm doing this maybe they've lost a, a parent or they've had a long run of injuries or they've got a chance to play with someone that they've played against for decades and so we have that moment and then in, in true barbarian style we'll go out for a, a bit of dinner and we'll have a couple of drinks and I think that starts the week well you know I think um it's not the culture that we have all the way through the week. We work really hard. You know, there will be training every day. There'll be media. We will do team-based activities to help to grow the culture and the cohesion because some people will have never met before or have only seen another player on, on a live stream. So, you know, you've got to get them to know each other because at the end of the week, they need to put their body on the line for each other. And I think as soon as the, the egg gets on the pitch, they all go into that mindset, you know, and it doesn't matter what colour shirt they're wearing their their skills and their abilities just take over so you know we, we just want a little journey that week and getting there and then also giving them an opportunity to meet with the committee members or um you know that, that, that can share with them what it's been like in their period of time they've been involved with the barbarians and again give them the history and the culture of the club it's interesting you talk about that team dynamic and and creating that team culture john and i um in the summer early summer actually did some work with team gb and talked about how they brought 350 athletes together from 25 different sports and gave them an identity, made them a team, made them feel, even though one was a tennis player and one was a modern pentathlete, that they were all part of the same thing. And they said the reason they did that was because at the end of the day, it gave them a performance advantage. It wasn't just about let's have a nice time. It's about actually getting the very best, that extra 1% out of the team. Is that your experience as well? Absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, I, I do parts of my role now, parts of the role that Joe and, and, and Tails will have will be in developing the, the detail in that. So that conversation about how they'll play on the pitch, how they will approach situations and problems, um, how they'll communicate with each other, how, you know, as we all know, we all like to, to communicate in our way and, and receive information. So it's them working together to know how that means, because it's a group of 23 players. So it's not on that grand scale of Team GB, but the identity is there. But because people really want to play for the club, they already, they're desperate to be part of that. They work really hard to, you know, become part of the part of the culture and to and to make sure everybody fits, to be inclusive and and to be supportive. And so it's it's not really difficult because they will want to do it. And so the the you see the moments and things happen in a week, you know, there's the, the someone will do something silly or we'll have, you know, we've done a couple of times we've done Barbar's Got Talent, you know, get people to really make them, you know, put themselves out in a space and make themselves feel a bit silly or vulnerable, but everyone feeling like that's okay. Um, and so that, that bit at the beginning of the week and then those fun moments, they start to build those, those, um, those cohesive parts of the, of the, the team will start to develop and pull together. If that makes sense. What do you do in Barbar's Got Talent, Fiona? Are you up on the stage? Are you are you giving a big torch song or are you golden buzzering down at the front? I, I've done both. Um, and I think I prefer, yeah, the Simon Cowell end of things. Um, first time round, um, you know, I think you'll all know Anna Richards, New Zealand, um, you know, World Cup winner, fly half. She's a real character. And she said, well, the coaches are going to have to do a performance. 
she 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 was the one that brought this in and um i think we did a, a really bad rap that ben lonigan the snc from um, gb7 had written um i felt really out of my depth and uncomfortable but we went with it um and then the second time we did it in wales i then thought my place is behind the table and i will i'll direct i'll direct the silliness um which is which is which was much easier <laughs> Couple more questions from me to finish with Fiona. Firstly, encourage people to come. So we've got this Kill It Cup double header at Twickenham. Well, I think if you're coming to a rugby game, you've historically been coming for for eighty minutes, and now for for the benefit of um, you know fans and supporters, you get two games for the price of one ticket. But what you will see is two absolutely incredible matches. Um, you will see flair. You will see passion. You'll see strength. Uh, skill um, and everybody who gets the chance to come and watch live sport if they haven't before it's like a hook and you'll just want more of it um, I mean you know we don't play a lot of games so there's, there's, there's few chances for you to to watch us play and, and this being our first home game it's going to be really special for us as well um, so I encourage you to get involved by you know following us on, on social media I think our social media team are got a good sense of humour about them and they like a bit of banter. So that's something you can you can start to do. Through that, you'll be able to pick up all the ways that you can buy tickets through Ticketmaster. Um, but what I do encourage people is, is if you're coming to the men's game, to stick around for the women's game because it's going to be just as good, if not better. Absolutely. Well said. Um, to finish with, I'm going to go right back to the start where we talked about the Blazers a little bit. Um, the Barbarians, you've conquered that. Your next challenge... Uh, a women's British Lions team? Oh, do you know what? I think it, it will be fantastic. It's not that it won't happen. I just think it's going to be a, a process. It's going to take lots of conversation and working out some really wicked problems. You know, things like the Men's and Women's World Cups being at different times. You know, the season's running slightly differently. The opposition, in, in some respects, won't be um, at the same strength. Do we play other teams? So I think you know, with um, with Royal London, I, you know, I'm I'm happy to, to to give and share the experiences I've had, um, some of the positives and the challenges that I've had to face over the last four or five years um, with them. Because I think in in women's sport, as we do in the NHS, we're actually about sharing the the change and the culture and the experience with each other, um, rather than saying, "Well, I set this up; it's my baby." Actually, what we're about is making the game better for everyone. So. We, we're quite, you know, there's several people that will be involved in that process to to help get that across the line. So I, I think it's more about timing than than whether it will or won't happen. I, I genuinely believe that there, there will be a, a women's Lions team and I think it will be a spectacular squad. And that shirt in that team will be highly sought after, as, as you know it is with the men. The Kill It Cup doubleheader takes place at Twickenham on Saturday, the 27th of November. Uh, the men's game against Samoa kicks off at 2.30. And then, as Fiona says, stick around 5.15 for the Springbok women's 15 against the Barbarian women. Fiona Stockley, team coordinator of the Women's Barbarians, thank you for speaking to great British bosses from anything but footy. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.